Jez Reynolds. He's an associate pastor at Evie Church. Um, so he's going to join us now. So make him feel welcome. Thank you. Hello. Now, Jez, um, mate, what do, you, what do you do for fitness? You're looking quite buff there. <laughs> um, I call it the stress diet. I just stress diet. stressed <laughs> out and work it all off. I, to be very honest, very little. Um, got a bunch of young kids and a crazy full life, and I know that is no excuse. There's always time. And I was helped to see this, actually, because I heard Mel give that talk on Monday. And what are we? Well, Wednesday? Two days in a row, I've got up and gone for a 10-minute walk. Hey, How about that? <laughs> Down in the garage, I got a little walk out. I figured I've got to stop making excuses. I can find 10 minutes. That's great. And uh, so we'll see, we'll see how long that lasts. Yeah. But there you go, walking. Walking. That's what I do, you mentioned, you mentioned a family and a bunch of little ones running yeah, around. Well, yeah. Tell us a bit about your family. Yeah, um, uh, blessed to have a bunch of young kids um, ranging from eight to two. And um, a couple of girls, a couple of boys, beautiful wife who's um, pumped them all out and does the heavy lifting in terms of taking care of them. Um, actually, it's, one e- it's easy for us to say that as men, but um, well, I'm sure it's not well, quite that simple. <laughs> then I want to take issue with something Mel said about how hard it is for fathers at you know, birth time. I was, true story, I was supposed to be right here five years ago on Sunday. That's how precise I can be. I was supposed to be here speaking five years ago but couldn't make it because that night my wife had gone into labour. We jumped in the car, headed off to hospital, but I pretty quickly worked out, we're not going to make it. I don't know if it was the groan turned into a moan or something like that. So I spun around, headed home and delivered my kid in the lounge room. And so uh, I was due to speak a couple, like about an hour later here and didn't make it. But so, so for all you? this, it's so hard for a father. You tried delivering your own kid in your lounge room, right? That was pretty... It's pretty I'm still impressive. traumatised. <laughs> now, so you're, you're not a doctor, but you deliver babies. That's so. right. You know, um, if you ever need any help. Just... You're a pastor. Yep. Um, tell us a bit, what does that involve? What, week to week? What does your week look like as a pastor? Yeah, it's a good question because lots of people think, don't you just give a talk for an hour maybe on a Sunday and what else do you do for the rest of the week? And um, it's a good question. I'm um, a part of this church, um, which is here in Woiwoi and also over in Erina. So there's a bunch of people um, that we are um, in community with and seeking to care for and open the Bible with and see what it has to say about Jesus. So um, believe it or not, I fill a whole week with activities that are about doing that kind of stuff. Um, much of the things we do are at night time, so I'm out with people um, doing that kind of stuff at night. Yeah. Yeah, great. Now, you're going to talk to us about fear of missing out. I um, am. Is there anything that you felt like you didn't miss out on in 2016 that you were, had a chance to do that you enjoyed? Uh, we've been asking this question. Mm. And for Mel, it was she had a great holiday. Okay. Well, well cliche. <laughs> there, there you go. I was just going to say... You have a bunch of young kids, you get used to terrible holidays, right? <laughs> and it's like, I just need a really good holiday, and then you have one with kids. And we've had a hospital visit all but one holiday. And um, so anyway, we had a week away with the kids, and it was fine, it was all right. But then we had the next week, just Bree and myself, five days down the south coast, in the country, just to ourselves. First time in like eight, nine years, so that was epic. Great. That was epic, well, loved it. I'll leave you to it, mate. All right. I look forward to hearing from you. Well, I think Mel might have got you to do this, but I'm going to get you to do this as well. Stand, stand on up. And I've, this is not to shame you. Um, 
I want you to now sit down if you have not checked Facebook, Instagram, Pinterest, any kind of social media this morning. So what we should have are people who have not checked. Did I say that right? You've not checked? You have checked. Oh, I, I meant to not shame you. I got it the wrong way around. <laughs> stay, stay standing. <laughs> Let's just shame the people who just could not go a couple of hours without flipping through Facebook. Sit on down. Um, get this. What's, I mean, what's the first thing you do when you wake up? You know, you, you open your eyes, um, you yawn, you maybe groan, you maybe hit that snooze button. But what's the first thing you then do? Well... Depends. <laughs> We're hearing all about your life. Um, between, if you are between 18 and 44, here's the study. Statistically, if you're between 18 and 44, then 80% of us would have grabbed for the phone and flipped through social media to check out all the things that we've missed out on in the eight hours since we last checked it because it was the last thing that we did before we went to bed. 80% of us. It gets even more extreme if you were to be within 18 and 24 years of age, then another study has found that 50% of people were up through the night checking social media. 50%, which means you're not even really sleeping, right? Because what's driving that? FOMO, a fear of missing out. So what is FOMO? It's a new acronym, which I'm going to suggest in a little bit talks about something that is um, age-old, but it stands for fear of missing out, and it's actually been added to the uh, Oxford Dictionary a couple of years ago, and here's how they define it. It's anxiety that an exciting or interesting event may currently be happening elsewhere, often aroused by posts seen on social media. And so this may not be a new problem. You know, we've always had that line, the grass is greener on the other side. It is a phenomenon that has been fueled and amplified by social media, uh, by people's experiences just plastered everywhere and our accessibility to it. Now, FOMO can be about choices. Um, so it was on a holiday uh, just recently where um, my kids had been given $2 by their grandpa to spend on the holiday. Got four kids, we go into a $2 shop. Figure that's a good idea. Um, now, I've got two boys, one of them just goes, Bouncy ball, awesome. Grabs it, he's ready to check out. The girls, can't remember what they did, but my other son, very different to uh, the other one who just got the bouncy ball, he's looking around, he's looking around, because of course, in theory, he could buy everything in the shop, right? And he's like, oh, it could be that one, oh, it could be that one, and all that. And I just watched the stress grow in my kid, so that about after half an hour, no joke, he's on the floor just rocking, going, oh, I just don't know what to do, I just don't know what to get. And he's just freaking out that he's going to miss out. So FOMO can be about choices, but the, the bigger things that I want to touch on this morning is about experiences and connections, which is what digital media, social media is driving. It's a fear of missing out on an experience or a connection. Here's a couple of examples of what that might look like. Um, it's Monday. You're back to the daily grind. Um, maybe you're in the office, you're at work, or whatever that thing is for you. It's just mundane, it's boring. You get to lunchtime, maybe you're just having a quick sandwich in your cubicle and you flick through Facebook to see your friend who's on that holiday. 
on that white sandy beach with the sun, with that blue water. She's taken that photo, you know that one where she's got her tan legs in it and the water behind. And what have you got? FOMO. Oh, look at what she's got. Look at where I am. But you don't actually, you can actually be on holidays and still have FOMO. This was me a couple of weeks ago. I was at the beach. I had my family with me. The sun was shining. The sand was pretty white. But I had FOMO. Why? Because that family over there were having a way better time than me. Their kids were laughing. Mine were tantruming, right? They were, sta- they were staying right on the beachfront. I had to drive two minutes to get to the beach. I had FOMO, even on holidays, even on the good thing. Um, as parents, grandparents, we might have what I'll call FUCMO, which is a fear of our kids missing out. So we've signed each one of them up to at least a sporting team, a musical lesson, a dance class, so that when you multiply that by two, three, four kids, our after-school activities, our weekends are manic, are absolutely insane. But we wouldn't want them to miss out on anything, would we? So one of the effects of FOMO is simply exhaustion and weariness as we chase what we think is going to be the full life, the satisfying life. Another effect is felt in our relationships. See, this weird thing happens with FOMO where it's not that we just want to be happy, we want to be happier. It's weird. It's, it's this contentment thing. So studies have looked at particularly the younger generation who are glued to the phones, the ones waking up all night, and found that their friendship circles are um, not lasting and their friendships are not going as deep as what we would expect and like. Why? Well, not because there's anything wrong, but because they fear they're missing out on a better connection over here. So it's not that I'm not happy, I just think I'll be happier with this friend, which of course is a disaster for relationships. So much so that we now have people getting a divorce, breaking up, not because they're unhappy with this person, but because they think they're going to be happier with that one. It's this fear of missing out on something that surely is bigger and better and brighter and more satisfying than what I've got. So... Social media, it's not the cause of this, but it is absolutely something that has amplified it. As we have this insight into the lives of all these people, which seem to be so much better, more attractive, just different to ours. So what are some things that we might be able to do to fight back against FOMO? Well, I want to give you a bunch of strategies you might consider. But I do want to call these band-aid strategies. Um, Slap it on, it might stop the bleeding for a little bit, but it's not going to deal with the root infection. I want to come to that in a minute. So firstly, own it. Own it. It's the first thing to do with any bad habit or addiction. It's to stop denying it and to own it and to go, yes, I've whipped out my phone, I'm on my computer because of FOMO, because I am fearing that I'm missing out on everything else around me. Own it. Um, Just acknowledging our own insecurity uh, to ourselves or maybe to a friend can be a helpful, healthy part of tackling it. That's the first thing. Um, Secondly, this is not rocket science, but gee, it's not easy to do. Turn it off. Turn it off. I don't mean throw it out, right, and go join an Amish community. 
no, no, this, this is the world that we live in, but one thing that I have found important and healthy in life is to develop particular rhythms and patterns as best as I can. And one of them has been to make sure that I have one day off a week, one day off from my normal work and my normal commitments and to do the best that I can to rest. Doesn't mean doing nothing, but something different. Now, this is particularly hard for mothers, right? I, I don't know how you have a day off from being a mum, which is why if there are any dads here, man, do your best to make sure that she can get a breath too. But on this day off, I turn my phone off. You know, it's going flat chat all week. I am flicking through stuff. I turn it off. And I often find kind of the first couple of hours I'm reaching into my pocket, you know, here it is, and you, you go and it's just this reflex, but oh, it's not there, it's not there. It just takes me an hour or so to go, okay, no phone. I'm not going to worry about the experiences that other people are posting about. I'm going to be as intentional as I can about the experience that I'm having now. I'm going to be intentional about the things that I can see and taste and touch, and of course the people that I can connect with and relate with right now. So there's, it's, this, sounds, this might sound really crazy to some of you, but it's this simple thing of just getting rid of all the status updates to be intentional about the experience that I have right here, right now. So turn it off. I'm not saying get rid of it, but just have a day. of nothing with it. You'll appreciate how fresh it is. Um, thirdly, work out the difference between connection and interruption. Connection and interruption. Um, so lest you think that I'm saying social media is a great evil and you shouldn't be on to get rid of it. No, 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 no. But just don't be a mindless sucker with it, which is actually what the tech companies are banking on us, literally, to be. They are actually designing the technology, the apps, to hook us in and to get us keep coming back. So, so just stop and think about the difference between connection and interruption. So um, social media, Facebook, for example, can be a great tool for facilitating genuine connection. You know, you might be organising a, a barbecue, a hangout, a party. Fantastic. Use it to do that so that you can get together and connect. Of course, what a great blessing it is for connecting loved ones who are separated by distance. Now, that's just a fantastic part of modern technology. There's some really good ways of... Um, facilitating genuine connection. But there's a difference between that and interruption. It's just interrupting the experiences that I really am in and the connections that I could be investing in. Um, the number of people that I catch just at mealtimes. Just when, you know, there, there are people to talk to around us. I'm one of them. I'm one of the guilty ones. But working hard at is this, am I coming to this social media so that I can really enhance genuine connection and the experience of that? Or is it an interruption? Don't let a shiny little device in your pocket, in your bag, hold you captive. Think about it. Connection or interruption. Fourthly, this is an important one about how we think. And it is, I've just called it, get real. Get real. Um, there was a song, it was this kiddie song, was it out of a Lego movie a couple of years ago, Everything is Awesome? Is that everything is awesome. Every no, it's not. Everything is not awesome 100% of the time. Part of growing up out of childhood, out of adolescence, as adults, is to own the reality that life is not always awesome. 
and to expect it to be that and for us and for our kids to have this picture painted as though it is and it ought to be and therefore if you're not experiencing that, you've got FOMO. It's not the real world. The real world is full of mundane, ordinary things. And the tragedy about this everything is awesome and the FOMO for that is that we can actually miss out on the beauty of the mundane, of the ordinary. How good is it to eat some fresh food today? How good is it to be outside enjoying some fresh air? How good is it to be surrounded by real people and not just 300 fake friends on Facebook? Just the ordinary, the mundane gets lost. Get real. And of course, you know this, but let me just say it. The, the picture that we paint on social media is not reality. Yeah? For a start, the images are filtered. They don't look like that in real life. And they are extremely selective. You know this because you do this, right? Finally, here's a great moment. Capture it. Filter it. Show the world how great my life is because actually I wish it was like that. People see that and go, oh, how good's their life? It's not. It's cherry-picking the best moments, chucking them up there. You know that's real because you do that. I love this line that someone said, jealousy is all the fun you think they had. <laughs> jealousy is all the fun you think they had. We are all living in the same world with the same experiences of the mundane, the ordinary, and the pain. Grow up in the way that we think. You're not missing out. Everyone's living with the same stuff. Fifthly, say no. Say no. FOMO makes us yes people. Yes, I'll sign up to that. Yes, I'll go to that. Why? Because I don't want to miss out on that experience or that connection. They might not invite me back. My kids are tired. We've had a big week. I've been invited to this party. Yes, we'll go, even though I know I should stay home. Learn to say no. One of the most simple but profound pieces of wisdom on this that I've picked up, it's very obvious but profound, is that whenever you say yes to something, you're saying no to something else. So it's not as simple as I keep saying yes, so I'm going to kind of keep fulfilling my life, it's going to get bigger and better. No, no. You say yes to something, you are saying no to something else. And so think about the cost of our decisions. It's not as simple as saying yes gives me the experience and the connection that I'm after. So there's a, there's a couple of band-aids that might help, uh, but I want to give you something so much better than a band-aid. I want to tell you what Jesus offers, which is something far better than just containing a fear of missing out, because he actually offers something that is going to satisfy hungry hearts and thirsty souls. You heard Mel earlier say, yeah, look after this stuff, but what about, what about us within? What about our spiritual dimension? Well, Jesus picks up on our basic physical experience of hunger and thirst to point us to the reality of our spiritual hunger and thirst and what he has to offer that. There is much more to us than just atoms held together by flesh and bone. We have a soul and it needs feeding. And as we chase after all these things, we're actually, according to Jesus, giving expression to a hungry soul. It's not that experience or that person or that thing that I need. There's something deeper going on. 
And so Jesus says these words, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will never go hungry. And whoever believes in me will never be thirsty. Of course, Jesus is not thinking of himself as a fluffy white loaf or a bottle of HTO. He's, he's using that experience of hunger and thirst to say, I've got something that is going to satisfy that, that's going to last, that's going to endure. And he says these words also, here's how you get it. He goes, come to me, all you who are wearied and burdened. You who are weary and burdened of, oh, I'm missing out on that, so I'm going to chase after it and I'm going to get it now that I've got it. Oh, it still hasn't cut it, so I oh, know it's that. I'm going to chase it. It's weary. It's exhausting. Jesus says, come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest for your souls. This satisfaction, this contentment, this peace, this settled posture. And get this, it's a contentment that endures even the sucky parts of life, even when things suck. It's a contentment because Jesus is saying what it is, is a restored connection, a restored relationship with the God who made you, who knows you, who loves you, which taps into our deepest longings ever. Longings that are a satisfaction that will endure even the hard stuff of life. So let me illustrate this and finish by telling you a true story. True story from a, a, long, a time long before social media. Uh, it's a couple hundred years ago uh, in England. And these are the words of a Christian pastor. He says, I was having a talk with a man who was young, rich, and in the enjoyment of every good thing this world could give him, and who maintained that religion was a melancholy thing, a sad thing. I cannot stand your Christian people, he said. Their religion does not make them cheerful or agreeable, and they are always in trouble, moaning and groaning and complaining. Come along with me, my friend, said the pastor. We will visit one of your complaining Christians. So I took him to a wretched, cold dwelling where there sat a poor old woman, doubled up with rheumatism and groaning with the pain. Oh, she said, it's so bad and it never gets any better. Now, could you imagine if this woman did have a phone connected to Facebook? Can you imagine the FOMO she might be susceptible to? Seeing all the people with their health and their happy moments running around with all the people around them. But here she is in agony on her own. Well, the pastor said to the woman, look at this young man. He's rich, he's healthy and strong. He has every pleasure that the earth can give him and he is without God in the world. Tell me now, would you change with him? Change with him? Were her words. There's a woman who knew the thirst-quenching, real satisfaction of Jesus. There's a woman who knew 
that she had no fear of missing out on the greatest experience of knowing her God, of the greatest connection with him as a loving father. Oh, she was missing out on all sorts of things, but not the greatest thing, not the thing that fueled her and satisfied her and sustained her. So I just want to ask you, do you know this contentment of this woman? Do you know this satisfaction that Jesus offers? Because if you don't, wow, what an offer worth looking into. A bunch of ways that you can do that. I think James has mentioned that and might even tell us a few more ways how to do that now. Thanks, Jez. Mate, we're going to um, have a quick time for questions and sure. I will tell you how you can find out more. Um, but just before we do, anyone got any questions that they want to throw to Jez at the front? Carrie. Do you Yes. Yes. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yep. Should I tell you what I did or what I should have done? <laughs> what I did is started off really patient and the come on mate, oh yeah, that's pretty good. Oh you could get that or come on mate, we've got to sort this out. And, oh mate and I just almost lost it with him. So that's what I did. No, no, it, all these things right and, and parents we stuff up these moments, but there are always opportunities for in the car once things are settled later that night to have the conversation, right? So much of um, the, the beautiful moments in pairing for me have come not in the moment. Um, often that's too tense for them or for, for us, but, you know, in the car trip or going to bed that night to have a chat. Um, so probably I apologise for the way that I responded to his poor behaviour. Um, don't ever think that you should not, cannot apologise to your kids, model to them what it is to um, be a wretch who needs forgiveness. Um, but yes, that was an opportunity to go, can you see, mate, there are so many good things. And that's always going to be a, a challenge for us in, oh, I could have that, I could have that. I think actually, as I think about that one, it was one of those... Um, what a, what a world we live in, what a community we're in, where my stress is over a good thing and a great thing. <laughs> um, an awesome thing that has that colour and an awesome thing that, you know, so it was an opportunity to go, you know, we, we, um, we have somewhat of a connection with kids um, in parts of the world who have nothing and so often they're good opportunities to go, but what would Angel, you know, our, our eight-year-old kid, what would he be like in a toy? He'd take anything. So... Um, it's just those moments of trying to... See, it's a cliche, but the attitude of gratitude is a way of fighting against FOMO. Just look at what we've got. I mean, we live in one of the most beautiful parts of the world where people from Sydney pay a lot of money to come up and crowd out this time of year, and, and we just want to go on a cruise. You know? So it's that kind of stopping and um, talking about gratitude and thankfulness for what we do have. Yeah. Any other questions? Adam. No, that, that's right. I said this is a new acronym, which is talking about the age-old problem of discontentment and um, covetousness, as you say, wanting something that is not mine, not being satisfied with what I do have. Um, 
you know, so we've, we've failed with the veggie patch this season, but one of the great things of that with kids was just that simple being able to go out, pull a carrot out of the ground, and for us it is, thank you, God, for this carrot. Just this, this small but significant expression of your kindness to us and not wishing that we had the feast or the whatever. Yeah. Yeah. I have a question. Christians. If you're a Christian, do you not experience FOMO anymore? Does it yeah. just go? Or? Yeah, yeah. Well, have we got any followers of Jesus honest enough to uh, admit that? That's right. I mean, so I've said Jesus offers this um, answer to FOMO. So if I come to him as he invites me, does it all go away? Um, no. And um, there's a couple of reasons why. Um, here's one of them. Imagine you're... Um, You've lived in the most arid desert imaginable where there is no pool of water around to jump in, have a bath, have a swim. You have to work really hard to bore down and get a tiny bit of drinking water to survive. And you're thinking, surely there's a place where there's more water than this, where I can just jump in and where I can just you know, quench my thirst. Imagine someone from, um, I don't know, you minor, flew into this place, grabbed that person and took them home to their beachfront house in you minor where your front door is the ocean and you've got plumbing where you just turn on the tap and drink as much as you want. That person is there, there's a little bit of rain, but they go out and they just play in the muddy pool of water in the car park, have a bath in that and start drinking that. And you'd be going, what are you doing? You, you've got this whole beautiful ocean to go and swim in and you've got this tap that you can turn on and drink and you're going to that? It's a little bit like that for followers of Jesus in that we've not appreciated well enough what he actually has to offer and how good it is and what we really do have. He's legit with his offer. Come to me and I'm going to give you this. I'm going to give you this rest. And so we're constantly um, tempted to think, yeah, maybe it's that and the latest this and the new experience. And um, we're suckers for not appreciating just how good we've got it, which is why actually... Um, when those good things that we have that we think will satisfy our deepest longings but don't, whatever, you know, the possessions or the relationships or the holidays, it's often why when those are taken away may, or, or they break relationships, where we're forced to realise just what we do have in the offer of Jesus. Um, many people come um, to things that we run and I chat to them because they've lost the things that they were pinning their hopes on to satisfy their deepest longings. And they've worked out, well, it can't be that. It's not, that was a great thing in Mel's thing, her hero with the runner. Wow, what, a, what an idol. There's her medals. Oh, she died two years later of cancer. There's got to be more than that. So it's this constant needing to actually realise who Jesus is and what he has to offer. You mentioned again there things that people come to, and I, yep. I just want to point something out on your tables. Uh, there'll be a life uh, slip... Um, this is a series we run yeah. uh, coming up in February uh, here at Peninsula. Now, you, you've run quite mm. a few of these uh, life series. Yep. Um, tell us a bit what people can expect if they come along. Um, yeah. yeah, I love this event. It's a great privilege to be part of because I love engaging with people who are willing to hear Jesus out. Just hear him out. What's he got to say? And what are the evidences for it? Um, so it's not church, you know, that some people think the singing thing, the praying thing, the church thing is weird. None of that. 
just something like this, cafe style, with a short talk and plenty of opportunities to ask questions. But to consider what Jesus has to say about himself. Not what you might have heard about him, not what you grew up you know, in Sunday school with or whatever. What has Jesus got to say about himself? So we, we look through those kind of topics. Yeah, great. And, and just give us a taste of what are some of the things that you do look at um, yeah. in the weeks. Um, so it's a six-week series. And the first week is much to do with what I've been talking about now. Jesus comes and he says these very words, I have come that you may have life and have life to the full, the full life, the satisfying life. Um, and he makes big claims that he's actually the only way to get that. We're all chasing it, but he's the only one um, who's going to give it. So we push into those claims a little bit more. Um, the next week we then consider the Bible, which is where we get these claims of Jesus. Um, how do we know that the Bible is telling the truth and hasn't changed over time with Chinese whispers? Or how do we know that in the first place those eyewitnesses wrote um, the truth down? So the evidences for the Bible, not doesn't this sound nice, let's close our eyes and believe it, but what are the historical evidences for it? Um, after that, we look at what's gone wrong with the world according to Jesus. Clearly something has. You've got your head under a rock if you deny that. What's gone wrong? We've got all our reasons. What, what does Jesus say that it is? And then after that, well, what does Jesus say is the hope for the world that's gone wrong, that's broken? And it's a beautiful hope. It's a wonderful one. Um, so we look at that. Uh, after that, we look at the claim that he died was buried, started rotting in the ground like we would, and yet was raised to life, never to die again. Um, you know, we know that that doesn't happen. Even people 2,000 years ago knew that that didn't happen. So how can you, as a thinking person, believe in the resurrection of Jesus? And again, looking at the historical evidences for that, which I'm persuaded, and Christians are, is the best explanation of the facts. And then we kind of land the plane in the last week, considering, well, what does it mean to follow this Jesus? What, is, what does that look like? Um, and that's kind of the, the six-week thing, all done, kind of informally, lots of questions. Yeah, it's a great time. Encourage you to get to that and look into it. Yeah, well, thank you, Jez, and why don't we thank you one more time? Pleasure. Good to be with you. It's been great.